Let's turn our Bibles this morning, please, to First Peter, First Peter, First Peter, chapter five. Reading together from verse number one. First Peter five, verse number one. Let us hear the word of God. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of ye be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We'll end our reading there, and we know that the Lord will bless the reading of the word to every heart. It is verse 7 and 8 that I want to draw our attention to this morning. And just before we come to it, let us just seek the Lord. And let me encourage you to take words upon your heart here. Just lift your heart to heaven. Say, Lord, speak to me. Or take the prayer of the psalmist upon your heart and say, Lord, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. All too soon the benediction will be pronounced and morning worship will be over. And therefore, let's take a moment and ask the help of heaven. Even for these moments, let's all unite our hearts together. Let us all pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the merits of his blood, we approach again the throne of grace and of mercy. And we come again into thy presence fully aware of our great need of the help of God. And we thank thee for the scriptures of truth in our own mother tongue. We thank thee for the word of God. We thank thee that it points us to Christ as the great shepherd of the sheep and the great lover of our soul. And as we turn to it now, O Lord, we pray that thou would draw near in a very special way, bind every power of darkness, rivet our hearts upon divine truth, and I confess before thee and before heaven's eternal omniscient throne my complete inadequacy to deal with what is before me now in this meeting. Empty me now of self and of sin. Wash me completely in the blood of Christ. And fill me now with the Holy Ghost and power. Grant that divine anointing. 
Grant that holy baptism which the Lord alone does give, the anointing to preach and the anointing to hear with profit, close us in for a season and let Christ be exalted, God's great and holy name glorified. For we ask it all in Jesus' name and for God's eternal praise. Amen. Amen. Peter, uh, the writer of this little epistle, was not saved until clearly he was an adult. He worked, as you know, in a profession where certainly he had to brave the elements. He was a fisherman who worked upon fishing boats. Tying that in with what we read in Mark chapter 1, that at the beginning of our Lord's ministry, the Lord healed his mother-in-law, we could also say that when the Lord saved him, he was a married man. And so clearly, Peter uh, was a man of age. He was an adult whenever the Lord saved him. He was probably also a man who before conversion had tasted of the world and what it had to offer. He obviously, before the Lord saved him, had obviously clearly lived through many trying experiences in life as we all do. And obviously knew that this whole world throws its problems to one and all. As I sat at my desk in the study some time ago, I began to think about this verse that we have read here about Peter, or about the devil being a roaring lion. And as I thought on it, and I thought on Peter, I asked myself, how many times in the Bible does Peter mention the devil? Or the word Satan? How many times does someone use the word devil or Satan to address Peter? Or how many times is the devil spoken about by our Lord in the hearing of Peter? And as I began to think about them, and I'm sure as you're doing it even now, there are some ones that come very quickly to mind. In Matthew 16, we have the time when the Lord said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. At that time when Peter had been used by Satan to uh, speak unadvisedly with his lips. In Mark chapter 3, we have another occasion when our Lord retorts the question of the hypocrites that he did miracles by Beelzebub, only for the Lord to say, how can Satan cast out Satan? And of course, Peter was there on that occasion. In Mark 4, whenever the Lord taught the parable of the sower, Peter and the disciples were there, and the Lord told them how Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. In Luke 10, Christ said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Or in Luke 22, with Calvary casting its shadow upon our Lord, and our Lord about to enter into the bloody sweat of Gethsemane, he says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold Satan, have desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Not to mention the times that Peter saw his Lord cast out devils, Heard devils speak and say, Hast thou come to torment us before the time? Not to mention the times that Peter saw satanic storms and Galilee calmed. And he lived through those hours that the Lord described. This is their hour and the power of darkness. Peter himself, in his own ministry, said to Ananias and Sapphira, Why have Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And Peter, when he took the gospel to the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius, and telling them about Jesus Christ, he said, Christ went about doing good and healing all oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. And then we come to this epistle that he writes. 
And he tells them, casting all your care upon Christ, for he careth for you. And then he says, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. Peter, to some degree, could speak on the subject of the devil with some authority. Uh, But I think it's interesting to note that before he mentions the devil in the epistle, he makes this great statement, casting all your care upon him, upon Christ. For he careth for you. Dear believer, what greater contrast can there be than to be shown the love and the care of Christ in comparison to the devouring nature of the devil? And therefore, for the time that remains, I want to speak on a message that I've entitled Christ's Care. For the believer. Or Christ's care for his church. The first thing I want to show you is. The term care in verse number 7. Casting all your care upon him. The word care. It literally means all your distractions. All those things that would cause you to lose course. All those things that would cause you to get discouraged. All those cares that would distract you and take away your mind from Christ. All that would distract us. All that causes us to lose our peace. Casting all your care. I want you to note the word all. There will be a plurality of them. I want you to note the personal nature of them. They're yours. Casting all your care, your distractions, your concerns upon the Lord. I think as we think of Scripture, we can think of many who cast their care upon the Lord. Let's go to a few. Go to Psalm 61, please. Go to Psalm 61 and look with me there. Psalm 61. It's a time of great distress in David's life. Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. A time of great trial, a time of great difficulty in David's life. The word overwhelmed, it gives the sense of being of being swamped by a great wave. You know what happens if you're on the beach or you're in the water and a great wave comes and it hits you. It just takes the feet from below you. And that's the sense of the word overwhelmed. David says, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. He cast the care upon the Lord. We could call that one the the cry from the distressed soul. But what about when the care is when the believer needs direction? Go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to go through a few here. And here we have the new convert, Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9 verse 6. Acts chapter 9 verse 6. 
Acts 9 verse 6, when Saul cries, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Saul, trembling, astonished, knows God has spoken, God has saved him. And now Saul wants to know what the Lord wants him to do. And I say to you, it's a good, it's a good care to cast upon the Lord every day. Lord, what would you have me to do today? What would you have me to do in life? What direction would you have me to go? He casts the care upon the Lord. So there's David's distress, there's, there's Saul longing for direction. Or what about, what about Moses? Go to Exodus 33. Here's a man longing for the presence of God. Exodus 33, Moses in the setting here, he doesn't want to go forward without God's presence. I say to you, it's quite a care. It's quite a burden. But he goes to the Lord, he casts it upon the Lord. And look at Exodus 33 verse 14. And he said my presence shall go with thee and I'll give thee rest. The word rest it means quiet. Pacify. That's what the Lord's telling him. He's telling him I'm going to go with you Moses. And maybe I speak to a dear believer this morning. And you're looking forward down the corridors of time. And there's something coming up and you know it's coming up and it's in your mind day and daily. And you would say to the Lord, Lord, I need you to go with me. Moses was in the exact same position. He didn't want to go any further unless the Lord went before him. And he casts it upon the Lord and the Lord gives him a word. My presence will go with thee. That will be suffice for the situation, Moses. David in distress, Saul needing direction, Moses longing for God's presence. What about times when the world comes crashing in around us nearly? Go to Second Kings 19. Second Kings 19. Here we have Hezekiah. Sennacherib has just Jerusalem surrounded. And a letter comes. A letter comes to Hezekiah. That man of God that saw revival. That man of God that purged the temple. And an awful moment, Hezekiah, 2 Kings 19, verse 14. The letter comes, it's just awful news. A letter no one wants to get. Verse 14, and Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He, he, he just cast it upon the Lord. He just took this letter. And he just got before God and he just told the Lord all about it. He cast it upon the Lord. What about what about times when the tears flow and the heartbreak? Go to first Samuel one, please. First Samuel one. And here we have this dear lady, Hannah. A lady that was misunderstood. A lady that was mocked. A lady that was even turned up when she went to the house of the Lord. But how did she deal with it? Look at verse 13. Or verse 12. And it came to pass as she continued praying. If you have a margin in your Bible, you'll see that it means the word continued multiplied to pray. She just made many prayers on the subject. She got to the Lord with it. What about times when the cause of Christ needs urgent inter intervention? What about those times? Go to Judges 16. Judges 16. 
And look with me there. Judges 16 verse number 28. You know the story. Samson's down. He's failed the Lord. He's blind. But the hair had begun to grow. He had been separated from his sin. And the Lord is reconciled with him. And in verse 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once. Now underline those words, that I may be at once. Because what Samson's saying is this, Lord, I need you to intervene in this situation immediately. It was immediate intervention that was needed. Now, why was it immediate? Well, it was immediate for this reason. The Philistines are gathered. They have left their homes. They have come to this public place. They're taunting Samson. They're celebrating. But Samson understands very soon they're going to be going back to their homes. And the opportunity for this great victory is going to pass. And Samson needs God to intervene immediately. And he casts it upon the Lord. O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once, O God, that I may be at once, because, Lord, the moment's passing. There's a prayer for us. Lord, are we time in the world stage is going by? Soon we'll be in heaven. And will cast her crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. But Lord, just to see a day of your power before it happens, come at once. He casts it upon the Lord. There's others we could go to. Go to Psalm 142. This will be the final one. Psalm 142. Times when the believer feels, you know what, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Go to Psalm 142, verse 4. I looked on my right hand and beheld, there, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Verse 5 I cried unto thee, O Lord. I just poured it out, I just cast it upon the Lord. And come back to First Peter 5. Casting all your care. Whether David in distress. A believer needing direction like Saul. Moses longing for God's presence. Hannah. Tears. Broken heart. Samson. Needing divine intervention quickly. Or David, or the psalmist there in Psalm 142, feeling nobody cares, the Lord cares. Cast your care upon him. That's the word care. What about the task of casting, secondly? The word casting, it means to hurl upon, give to, hand over. But the point is, and here's the point. To give something to anybody, you would need to be with them. You would need to be near them. And therefore, in this thought of casting, it gives the sense of communion, of fellowship, 
of closeness to the Lord. Like Psalm 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You, you could never give anything to anybody that you didn't go near. That would just be an impossibility. The burden would never be taken by anybody if you didn't go to them and give them it. And therefore this thought that Peter's speaking about of casting all your care, the plurality of those distractions in the Christian life that would cause you to lose your peace, cause you to lose your joy, Peter's saying it requires fellowship. It requires closeness. The thought is, it's also seen in Acts 1. Don't turn there because we don't have time. And the church were gathered in Jerusalem to wait. Uh, to wait for the promised Holy Ghost. Now I know geographically they were in Jerusalem. I'm fully aware of that. But the point is they were waiting around the throne. That's where they were waiting. The place was Jerusalem. But the place also was heaven. They were abiding before God. They were in that place of communion, that place of fellowship. They were casting their care upon the Lord. And I am saying tonight, or today, without fear of contradiction, I don't think any of us really understand what it was to be a Christian in that day. They were fully aware what Jerusalem thought of Jesus Christ. They nailed him to a tree. And they're waiting before the Lord. I don't think it was a case of they didn't go out before the Lord came. I think it was a case of they couldn't leave that room until the Holy Ghost came with power. They were there for fear of the Jews. But they cast it on the Lord. They cast the future of the church on the Lord. That future that that little band in Jerusalem were so fearful about. The word care, all your distress, is the thought of casting, communion, fellowship. The reason given, one of them is all the while Peter's leading that you have an enemy. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. As I'm sure you know, The names given to the devil in the Bible are to reveal his characteristics. That's how we learn what he's like. That's how we build up a profile in our mind of his behavior. The Holy Ghost has given him different names, all with different meanings that we can draw conclusions about this one that is our enemy. Satan means adversary. Devil means slanderer. Beelzebub means the prince of the devils, the most powerful devil. Dragon speaks of this fierceness. Serpent speaks of a subtlety. Roaring lion speaks of his devouring nature, merciless. Angel of light, sometimes it's hard to discern who's speaking. Of course, there's others. Apollyon. Angel of the botanist pit and Lucifer. But you tie the words together and you begin to think about their meanings. You begin to build a profile in your picture 
about this person that hates you. About this person that will tempt you. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. Because just as they're your cares and they're personal to you, he uses the same word, your adversary. Your opponent, your enemy. Peter's addressing Christians. He's telling them, the devil's the friend of none. The enemy of all. He has deeply injured the race of mankind. Multitudes have lost their souls because of him. Peter's addressing Christians. Be sober, be vigilant. Straight after he tells them about Christ and his care, he says, be sober, be vigilant. You see, towards Christians, the devil is subtle. What do I mean by subtle? Well, Satan draws conclusions as he watches our conduct and from what he observes, what he observes in our conduct, he regulates his temptations accordingly. And when Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, he says, believer, you need to think about this. Be vigilant. You need to think about it because the devil has thought about you. And he has worked out your weakness and my weakness. Oh, I don't doubt there are things that he wouldn't bother to tempt you with because he knows there'd be no point. He'll tempt you and he'll tempt me with those things that he has seen work. Have you ever asked yourself why why do I always feel the Lord in the same place? And we all feel the Lord. But why does it always happen to me in the same way? Because the devil worked us out. And he knows how to get us. There's sins out there, brother, sister, that the devil wouldn't even bother tempting you with them because it would be a waste of time. But there's sins out there that you and I know wouldn't be a waste of time when he tried them. And he knows it. And that's why when he said, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. We need to think about it. We need to understand that the devil has considered us. He has thought about us. And he has worked out what this preacher's weaknesses are and what your weaknesses are. And that is why that every believer struggles in certain areas. The devil's temptations are never haphazard. He doesn't think, I well, we'll try this one. He knows exactly what to try. And he knows the timing when to try it. He's a subtle adversary. He's also an active adversary. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary and my adversary needs no rest, will take none. He knows nothing of fatigue. He knows nothing of it. He's also a permanent adversary. This will not stop until heaven. John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, actually suffered one of his fiercest attacks of the devil right at the end of his life. 
on his deathbed. The enemy came in with such power that he called for his wife and he says, open the scriptures and read to me where I first cast my anchor. And she read to him those great words that brought Knox from popery into the light of true religion. John 17, and this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, Knox rested again. He's also a cruel adversary, the enemy. As you know, Satan is not a lion, literally. But Peter knew that the Christians of that day he was writing to knew what a lion was. They had their amphitheaters where people were thrown. They knew firsthand what a lion's nature was. Ruthless. Merciless. Think about it here in the setting. He's speaking about the flock of God. You take a flock in the natural realm. Sheep, lambs. Could you imagine the chaos? The destruction. If a lion got among that. Well here's the mind of the Holy Ghost. On your adversary. He's like a lion, a lion among a flock. Merciless. Knows no pity. And will show none. The destroyer of human innocence will never hold back. There's not a trait of compassion or mercy in his makeup. Now we could develop that further, but we've said enough about him. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, my adversary, as a roaring lion, with that nature, that desire toward you, walk about, seeking opportunity, and I'm paraphrasing it here, to devour us. Seeking the opportunity. Which brings me finally to this. Come back to verse 7. The great encouragement in light of that. To cast your care upon Christ. Verse 7 again. Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. The encouragement comes from what the word careth means. Now the word careth is not the same word in the Greek as the word care, which means distraction, distresses. The word care of means the object of care. So read the text like that. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, for you are the object, object of Christ's care. Yes, you're the object of the devil's consideration, but you're the object of Christ's care, his compassion, his guardianship. What a glorious text. Peter, before he mentions the devil, 
He tells these people, you cast your care upon the Lord because though there's one that considers you and will deal with them, Peter's really saying in a moment, you cast your care upon the one that will protect you and guide you and be your guardian. The encouragement is also seen to cast your care upon Christ in that Peter is writing by inspiration. Many times in the Christian life, and we are all aware of this, there comes times when we want to know the will of God on a certain subject. And sometimes the will of God on a certain subject needs careful prayer and a lot of prayer to discern what the Lord would have you to do. But there are times in the Bible the will of God is abundantly clear. And a believer, since Peter here is writing by inspiration, a believer is never more in the center of God's will when they're casting their care upon the Lord. That is the will of God for every one of us. Cast it by divine invitation. Cast it upon him because of divine love. You say, preacher, nobody seems to understand the situation I'm in. Jesus Christ understands the situation you're in. Preacher, I've been misunderstood. Jesus Christ understands that perfectly. Preacher, my mind has been bombarded by the devil, by sin, by temptation, to I almost feel like screaming. Jesus Christ knows all about it. Plead the blood, he shed it to overcome the enemy. The encouragement is also seen in who Christ is. I mentioned the great contrast earlier. Cast your care upon Christ, brother, sister, who loves you because there's one that doesn't love you. Cast your care upon Christ, who is omnipotent, all-powerful. The devil is not. Cast your care upon Christ, who does what he wills. The devil only does what he's allowed. Cast your care upon Christ, who does all for your good. The devil seeks to destroy. Cast your care upon Christ who knows your future. The devil wants to destroy it. Cast your care upon Christ. Draw for help and temptations are. You see, dear brother, the devil has no, and sister, the devil has no ability to force you to sin. He can tempt you. He can lure you. But he can't force you. There must be something within you that will comply with the suggestion before it's ever going to work for him. And when you feel that, you get to the Lord. You cast that upon the Lord. Lord, this is a hard one. The encouragement to cast your care upon Christ is also seen in that we're in union with Christ. You see, maybe I speak to one today and you feel the Lord this week. And the devil, true to his name, is accusing you and telling you that you're finished and you just can't go to the Lord with that one after what you did this week. Casting all your care upon him. And the devil's telling you your sin's all your fault. And, and there he's right. It is your fault and it's my fault. 
But I tell you, my friend, when you and me feel the Lord, we need to cast that care upon the Lord. And there's illustrations in Scripture. We haven't time to go to it, but you could go to Jonah chapter 2. And there's a believer there. And he's in the belly of a fish. And he's at the bottom of the ocean. I'm telling you, it's the lowest place on earth to be, physically. And for Jonah, it's the lowest place spiritually he's ever been. But brother, sister, when you're down there spiritually, there's only one way you can look. Up. And cast it in Christ. And cast your care upon him. And that's exactly what Jonah did when he said, I'll look again to the temple where I first looked. To that place where the blood was in the mercy seat. And that great picture of the coming Redeemer. And he looked by faith to where he looked before. Maybe you say, preacher, I'm down. I'm shook, I fell. Look again to Calvary. Look again to the fountain open for sin and uncleanness. What about Samson? We read about him earlier. That very narrative, Judges 16. He's failed the Lord, he's blind, he's down, power's gone. I tell you, the Philistines were able to do many things to Samson. They could sever the eyes from his head, and they did it. But they couldn't sever Samson from Christ's love. Let me make this abundantly clear, dear people. When Jonah was at rock bottom, the Lord adored him. When Samson was in that dungeon, the Lord adored him. God does not love believers on the basis of how they live the Christian life or God would not love any believers he loves us in Christ he accepts us in Christ and he loves us as much as he loves Christ and though he didn't love obviously Jonah's sin and Samson's sin and it brought them into chastening He loved Jonah and he loved Samson because he loved them in his son. And there's why you cast your care upon him. When you and I feel the Lord and we all do and time's gone and I do apologize, what do you do? Certainly we're going to feel bad. It's a sign you're a child of God. You've grieved the spirit within But what do you do? You apply the gospel. The Lord loves me as much now as he loved me before I fell. He'll accept me as much now as he accepted me before I fell. And therefore I'll confess it and I'll get it under the blood. I'll cast it upon the Lord. 
Dear believer, wherever this morning finds you, whatever place in life you are, David's distress, Moses longing for God's presence, Saul needing direction, Hannah's tears, it would be the will of the Lord that you cast it upon him, that you tell him about it. Oh, he hasn't lost his omniscience. He already knows about it. But he would hear it from us. And you remember, my brother and sister, that God's love toward you, you're the object of his care today, tomorrow, and forever. Because of your union with his son. There was an old Scottish poet he said these most beautiful words. The stars they shine upon the earth. The stars they shine upon the sea. The stars were made by the living God. The stars shine down on me. And should they shine a million years. A million years in a day. Christ and I will still dwell in love when those stars have passed away. My friend, there's what we are in Christ. An indissoluble love which neither earth nor hell can part. And in light of it, and in light of there's one that doesn't love you, cast your care upon him. Live in that place of communion, fellowship, dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. Maybe one here, maybe one here and you're not saved and I don't know, I'm a stranger. What do you need to do? You need to cast that soul of yours with all its sin upon the Christ of God. And say, Lord, be propitious, be merciful, and pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. And come to him even today. And may God write his word on every heart for his name's sake. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Just in these moments. There's quietness. Maybe burdened soul, maybe something in your heart. Take these moments in God's house and cast it afresh upon Him. Pour it out as you sit in His presence. Maybe one here, feel the Lord, oh friend, get it under the blood. You're among your brothers and sisters, we've all done it. But bless God, there's a day coming when we'll feel Him no more. Lord, take your word, apply it by the Spirit. Let all that's been of this preacher fall to the ground. But let all that's been of thee be applied by the eternal Spirit, the Comforter. And bless your dear people and meet the need of every soul. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.